the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. From taking over the family farm at a young age to the top job for a farmer in agri-politics in this country, a Victorian is now the head of the National Farmers Federation. David J. Hinkey will join you on the program shortly. Cattle prices and their slide continue to frustrate farmers. You'll hear from one of those on the program today. And strike action at dairy factories likely to restart again. There has been some movements with some major dairy processes, but workers at Fonterra have lodged an application to strike for six days starting this weekend. We'll give you all those details and more today on The Country Hour. Let's start with your dose of rural news, though. Annie Brown has that for you today. Good afternoon, Annie. Good afternoon, Warwick. New South Wales farmers are reporting trapping 50 to 60 feral pigs a week, saying the population is exploding. Feral pigs can carry diseases like foot and mouth disease, which has wreaked havoc in the United Kingdom and since travelled south to Indonesia. Heather Channon is the coordinator of the National Feral Pig Eradication Plan and says the population needs to be better controlled. They do have a a role in the transmission of exotic diseases including foot and mouth disease, African swine fever, Japanese encephalitis and other exotic diseases as well as endemic diseases and zoonotic diseases that can impact um, livestock, wildlife and human health. Feral pigs have a very high reproductive rate so if we don't keep going feral pig populations can, can be back where we started very quickly even within 12 months. A 2012 decision by the federal government to expand salmon farming on Tasmania's west coast is under review by the Federal Environment Department. The west coast's Macquarie Harbour is home to the critically endangered Morgian Skate, which is believed only to exist there. It's believed the federal government may try to override the previous commitment to expand fish farming due to the plight of the skate and are seeking to determine whether they can. The salmon industry has come under intense scrutiny in recent years, but Petuna's Luke Freeman, who's worked in the fishing industry for 20 years, says the salmon industry has been positive for the region. I think it's just not fair, not fair to point the finger directly at salmon. I know all the guys in Strawn as well, and they, they, they love the environment, they, they care for it. They, you talk to them about what they do on their days off, and they're out fishing, they're, they live and breathe the water, whether it's diving or or anything but um it is it's it, i don't know i think it's not fair to point the finger directly to salmon that is causing the the skate to be reducing in numbers the civil aviation authority or casa wants to know more about how and where farmers are using drones so its regulations can keep pace Australia was the first country in the world to implement drone regulations back in 2002. Heath McDonald is a remotely piloted aircraft systems team leader with CASA and he says some of the regulations might be out of date. You know, 10 years ago we weren't probably even talking about drones but now we see such an exponential growth in this field and we see a lot of benefits for farming and land management applications. And so it's crucial that we understand what those types of operations are and how our rules are made to to work for them as well. So the survey that's available on our website is really focused on anyone in the industry now, 
but also anyone that's thinking of coming into the industry and using drones. We'd also like to focus a lot of our intention on farmers and people in land management or mustering or even spraying crops or pesticides. More than 400 people from the Australian wine industry have just taken part in a hastily arranged online meeting to hear more about the potential five-month review into China's tariffs on Australian wine. Australian Grape and Wine hosted the event and CEO Lee McLean says it gave everyone the opportunity to learn about what might happen next. I think one of the other things that we really do need to continue doing is is to uh, keep engaging with the Chinese wine industry over the next little while to make sure that we are looking for opportunities to collaborate and work together. Uh, I was in Shanghai a couple of weeks ago where we had the opportunity to meet with the Chinese wine industry. Uh, That was a really warm and constructive meeting and and really highlighted that despite some of the differences we've had over a couple of years now, uh, there are a lot of common challenges and common opportunities for us. So there is a real opportunity there for us to, to strengthen that relationship and do some good work together. And with the price of fuel sitting around $2.30 a litre for diesel and about $2.10 for unleaded, freight companies say don't expect the price of anything to go down anytime soon. Rob Bales cuts hay across the north of Tasmania and he's also the Tasmanian president of the Truck Owners and Operators Association and he says the extra costs have to be passed on. It's costing us nearly $250 a load extra to go to Smithton, or $10 a tonne. And then I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought, that's over $30 an hour extra, or $0.50 cents a minute extra to, to drive it. Just, um, just, yeah, we're just going to keep passing on. Everyone talks about the cost of living is getting dearer. Well, no wonder when you see that just as one cost without all the other added costs. And Warwick, that is what's making rural news. Thanks very much for that. Annie Brown there with Rural News for you today. We'll head to the sale yards shortly on the program. We'll also hear about possible future dairy worker strikes. Well, by future, I mean this weekend. We'll give you those details shortly here on the Country Hour. But let's begin with the news that a Victorian grain farmer who quit school to take over his family's farm is the new leader of the National Farmers Federation. Former Victorian Farmers Federation president and NFF Vice President David Joe Hinkey beat challenges from Queenslander Georgie Somerset and West Australian Tony York to take the top job in agri-politics in Australia. He says he's excited to take over from the outgoing President Fiona Simpson, who gave her outgoing address to the National Press Club yesterday. I short, uh, spoke to David Joe Hinkey a short time ago. Uh, David Joe Hinkey, congratulations and welcome to the country um, thank you, Warwick. Thank you, listeners, um, to all the people out there that I've worked with um, and where I started from, from the Wallop Ag Group upwards. Uh, it's a great honour to have represented Victoria, but now to step at the national level is once again a huge, huge honour and there's a lot of work to be done and I'm just uh, ready to get into it. You've served quite a, a long term on the NFF board already. You've been vice president before this, but that didn't make you stepping up to this role as NFF president any easier, I'd imagine, because the competition from Queensland and Western Australia from other candidates was quite strong. Look, fantastic to have some real calibre of um, candidates put themselves forward. Both Georgie and Tony are really good operators. They've been at the top of their game at the state level and they'll still be on the national board. So um, it's fantastic to, to have a competition like that. It's also great that um, it shone the light on members' issues as we all got around the membership and um, understand their their, their uh, personal uh, 
bent on different things that we're tackling, um, actually is highlighted as a collective what we can do better. So for me, um, once again, fantastic process, really great to have um, support from the whole family. And uh, once again, the, the three of us have all got together and really just committed to bunkering down on some key issues for the NFF. Let's talk through you a little bit. For those who don't know you, what, tell us about your farm. Tell us about your farming credentials and your history. Um, I guess for me, it's been a, a, a journey from a very early age. I've always wanted to be involved in agriculture, but um, as soon as I finished high school, my father got very crook and um, I basically closed my, my books at high school and went home and took over the farm. And um, from there, I can honestly say that any mistake I made has been my own. And uh, I've always been wanting to make sure that uh, I lived out the, the morals that my grandpa it's really installed in me about community. He said, um, you should be the community you want to want to be want to live in, so become that person. So I've always been involved in, in anything that advances agriculture or supports people. That led me to um, going to my first VFF district council meeting, of which I came back to the secretary-treasurer um, because I had a bit of spunk, I believe. And um, then just throughout that journey, um, maintained that desire to help farmers, which led me through the uh, executive roles at both um, VFF and now NFF. And what do you bring to the role? What do you want to, to do in your time as an NFF president? Well, there's... Obviously, a legacy piece of making sure that farmers are front and centre in both the agricultural conversations in Parliament. And now that doesn't mean that we just talk to the Ag Minister. That means we've got a lot of different portfolios that affect us, both from uh, the the production side of things, but also the legislation side of um, how we operate in their frameworks. So uh, making sure that we continue on that bread and butter work. But for me especially, is around making sure that we're getting that next generation of farmers uh, involved in uh, agriculture, making sure that their career opportunities uh, are very much stepped out and available to them, Um, and then also keeping farmers productive and profitable. So what we've seen um, lately is a raft of legislation coming through that is compounding the issues that agriculture is facing and creating uncertainty where we had some stability for a period but now is actually making farmers reassess and um, have to question where and how they want to participate in the industry. You follow in the footsteps of Fiona Simpson, a high-profile leader of the NFF who made her uh, departing address to the press club yesterday. Are they big shoes to Phil? Oh, absolutely. Fiona's left a huge legacy of unity within the agricultural sector, as well as making sure that we aren't an echo chamber. Agriculture can talk to itself or build itself a lot, but she's really engaged the wider community, really tried to ensure that we're engaging on issues that traditionally we may not have been um, uh, front and centre on, so issues such as climate change, issues such as uh, housing, making sure that they are a part of our dialogue within the representative sector because they actually do affect us. They are beyond the farm and can have a huge influence on the success of their operation. Many farmers listen to the Country Hour um, right around the country. What's your message message to the farmers you represent today? Well, that's actually it, Warwick. Um, I believe that as far as the NFF goes, it needs to have strong member organisations, and the only way we can do that as a national body is to get our boots out of the ground, making sure that we're hearing those farmer stories directly with the, our member organisations, and then use that information, making sure that we're 
got in a coherent and clear way to tell those stories to the people of influence. And that, that is obviously the politicians, that's why we're based in Canberra. But the reality is when you go to the polling booth, when you go to, um, when you have people um, wanting to understand our production systems, they are also extremely important. So to tell that story um, is basically what my job is and I'm going to do it with all the gusto and dedication I can. David Jahingi, congratulations on your appointment and, and winning that election. Thank you very much for joining us on the Country App. Thanks, for Thanks, listeners. That's the new National Farmers Federation president, Victorian farmer David Joe Hinky, speaking there. Also sounds like he better put telecommunications on his list of important things to lobby for with a bit of a shocking phone line there. Apologies for that. Uh, David Jahingi has been vice president of the NFF since 2017. He's replacing outgoing president Fiona Simpson, uh, who has stood down after seven years leading the NFF as well. Western Australian farmer John Hassel uh, has been elected vice president of the NFF unopposed as well. 0467 842 is the text line if you'd like to send us your thoughts on that or other issues facing agriculture today this lunchtime. Kate actually says this news makes me very happy. David Johinke is as authentic and humble as you can get. He'll be a great leader of the organisation. You can send more texts in 0467 842 722 and away from that issue. Holy dooly. Uh, Tom sent in some photos just south of Hamilton uh, of hail covering the road. Really, really small looking hail. Almost looks like a, a dusting of snow to the text line today. It looks incredible uh, near Mount Napier, says Tom. I've just come through. I missed it, he says. But wow, if you've got reports of hail or any rainfall that you'd like to send through, you can either... Text us or give us a call, 1300 2 to give us a call here at the Country Hour. We'll go from, well, agricultural lobbying to bad weather to woes in cattle markets. Cattle price woes are continuing at sale yards as well in eastern Victoria. Markets at market analysts say high numbers of stock on the market coupled with congested supply chains and soft consumer demand is combining to keep prices low. At the Gippsland Regional Livestock Exchange yesterday, Neville Peck was watching prices and thinking about when he'll sell his heifers and calves. He caught up with Fiona Broom. Here at 150, what are you doing here at the sale yards today, Neville? Oh, just uh, mainly looking for buyers from here, heifers and calves that I've got at home for sale. I've had um, 40 beef heifers calves uh, in the last two and a half months. I haven't got them on the market at the moment. So. What do you think about the prices that you're hearing here today? Oh, today, well, a fraction better, I think, than last week uh, for the big cows. There were some extremely heavy cows made $1.94, so that was better than last week. Uh, uh, but it's on small numbers here, so it's only about 60-odd ahead of you. And looks like uh, people might be coming out to have a look at me cows and calves this afternoon, so try and put them on the market. <laughs> what kind of prices uh, are you hoping for? Half, oh, well, eleven or twelve hundred, probably. So it's about a third, a third of what I got twelve months ago. So that's what the prices have dropped like. So 
we were getting over three thousand dollars twelve months ago at Bensdale for heifers and calves. These are Ang- uh, Angus and Speckle Park with um, calves by a purebred registered Speckle Park bull. They're in very good order. They've come through the winter. A lot of them are homebred, and we've retired from dairying twelve years ago. Um, I'm supposed to be retired. But I like going around to the markets. and uh, So I keep the heifers coming by buying yearlings and young ones. So the same as a lot of other people. Twelve months ago I paid $1,600, $1,800 for heifers and now I can't even get $1,000 for them in the market. So. Is your plan just hold on to them for a bit if you can and see if you can get a better price? Or are you, yeah, well, do you feel like you need a sell? Since, since the autumn. We bought some in here two months ago and never got a bid for eight. You know, really really good heifers I've heard too. Uh, so their calves are really growing well now, so they're close to 200 kilos and only four or five months old. If things aren't going too well at the East Gippsland um, and at the sale yards, do folks head over to Coonawarra? Oh, a lot of the cattle that used to come here to sale are going to Coonawarra. They were getting a better price, but I don't think it's any different now. Myself. Yeah. Why were they getting better prices at Coonawarra? Well, they get a longer season, the rain, rainfall. Uh, a lot of the other areas got very dry through the winter. Uh, we were lucky we had that 170 millimetres here a fortnight ago, so we had water over about 60 acres down the back just from coming down from above us. So. All our dams are overflowing and we're irrigated. It's got terrific feed on it at the moment. So. Yeah. Like I don't have to sell them for food, boys, so it's just that I'm getting too many cattle. <laughs> really interesting insight at the sale yards there. Montgomery cattle producer Neville Peck speaking to Fiona Broom at the sale livestock exchange about the state of the market and what he was watching on for. 23 past 12 here on the Country Hour. A uh, couple of texts coming in at the moment. Hail at Bannockburn says Bob the Fencer from Anarchy. Thanks for that, Bob. Not great news, but important to know where it is falling. Let us know if you're getting a bit of hail today. I'll try and get an update from the Bureau shortly. Also have a text, though, from Daniel up at Mildura harvesting barley here today. Was Hope the hail stays away. Daniel sent a beautiful photo looking out the front of the header of wide open blue skies. Uh, Warm country up there and the barley coming off. Looks an absolute treat. One of the joys of being in a bit of dry country, I think, today, Daniel, when you hear of hail to the south. Keep the text coming. Love getting photos back on our text line. Take me out of the studio and to wherever you are. Would love to see uh, what you're up to today, this lunchtime, or any day. You can always text us here at the Country Hour. Let's take you to dairy factories now, though, on the program, because dairy factory workers in Victoria have reached an agreement with two major milk processors uh, they took strike action against last week. But an impasse remains with one major multinational that has workers threatening a six-day strike starting this Saturday. I spoke earlier to National Secretary of the United Workers' Union, Tim Kennedy, for an update. There's been a series of meetings across a number of uh, companies, um, and we actually believe there has been some success. I believe there's uh, a good, strong offer now on the table from Peter's Ice Cream, and the workers will be voting on that offer, which essentially delivers a 5% wage increase in the first year and a 4.5% in the second year and a 4.5% in the third year. 
uh, with Saputo, uh, which is a very important uh, processor, we can say that our, our workplace representatives and negotiators have indicated that they're welcome a fresh approach from Saputo. And we now have a position from Saputo that deals with not just some of the cost of living issues, but a range of uh, conditions that make the job far more sustainable. And so we have an offer there that's around 5% uh, for workers at Saputo in the first year, uh, less lesser amounts in the out years, but improved uh, paid emergency service leave to allow volunteers to deal with natural disasters, improved recognition of payments around 12-hour shift work, uh, and a, another couple of issues around leave payouts. And so um, our, our people will be having meetings at all those Saputo sites, and we believe it will be favourably received. And we're hoping to have almost got to the point where we have agreement there. And as a consequence, there will be no uh, industrial action notices uh, happening at Saputo. And so that leaves really... Lactalis and Fonterra. What's the situation there? Yes. Yeah, so the, the most important and the largest of those is Fonterra, Warwick. Uh, we have discussions beginning today and tomorrow Fonterra. They have not moved their position from last week. And so their current wage offers are around about half of what the other two uh, processes have now put on the table. Um, and our workers at Fonterra have expressed quite a deal of uh, frustration as a consequence they've notified of uh, potential strike action commencing on Saturday for six consecutive days if we don't reach agreement. Uh, so we're hoping that Fonterra have a look around the industry sector and uh, read, read the room and change their position. Uh, we're going to commence discussions with them and we are going to go in there for a positive framework. So... When is your next meeting with Fonterra? So negotiations in in real detail will commence uh, tomorrow on Thursday, but there'll be some preliminary work done today uh, to make certain that everyone is across what needs to happen uh, in order to reach a positive agreement. But if you do not get an agreement, the, the, the message from members is strike action for six days could begin on Saturday. That's right. Um, uh, those notices have been lodged. Uh, we've lodged those notices because we're required to technically. We want to reach agreement with Fonterra. Uh, we want Fonterra, who's probably the most profitable out of all those processes, uh, to rethink again about uh, listening to their workers here. Um, these cost of living wage increases are are necessary for these workers. Um, the 5% per annum uh, does not put people out in front. In actual fact, inflation figures today uh, will probably show inflation running annually 5.2 to 5.5, but it's these workers have uh, noticed that the uh, processes have taken a step forward and they've stepped forward towards them. At the moment, Fonterra hasn't moved and we need them to move. So it wouldn't be strike action against four processes like it did last time, but how many workers are we talking about possibly taking action here? So the action happening, if it has to happen on Saturday, will involve just over 300 workers at Fonterra and Fonterra alone. So it will not have an impact on the sector. It will have an impact on Fonterra as a company. Uh, uh, and so I think that's that's completely different scale to what happened last week. What is the potential disruption if workers strike at one company for six days? Uh, the disruption is really going to be 
limited to Fonterra and their capacity to make their products and their brands and to get things moving. In terms of how it impacts on the sector as a whole, milk will be able to be uh, collected and processed. It's just that Fonterra will be doing damage to itself. I get asked this every time I speak to you, Tim Kennedy, from the United Workers Union. What is the average wage of the workers that at these dairy plants that we're talking about here? Do you have that kind of figure you could tell us? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a large ballpark figure because it does vary across the sites and it varies across uh, the, the various shift patterns people work. Uh, and if you're working at night or you're working 12-hour shifts, but you can earn uh, anywhere between sixty thousand and eighty to eighty-five thousand in a good year at these plants. For those workers, how important then is the the one or two percent you're you're haggling over with Fonterra in terms of uh, pay rise? Well, at the moment, we're not really haggling over one or two percent with Fonterra. It's it's of a magnitude greater than that. They say they've uh, offered you eleven percent over three years, and you're saying you want five percent each year yeah. for, for three years, yeah. Yeah, and so 4% is significant money. Uh, so in terms of every percentage increase in workers' pockets uh, is important given the cost of living that all Australian workers are dealing with at the moment. The other element to this, though, is Fonterra workers live in the regional communities and everything that they earn goes back into those regional communities. We need to make judgment calls at the end of the day, and you'll note with Saputo that we actually did that. We didn't actually stand on... Uh, our dig completely. We There is a judgment call that people make, but at the moment, uh, the offer from Fonterra just, just does not help our people keep their heads above water. I know you have meetings to go into. Tim Kennedy, we appreciate your time once again on The Country Hour and the update and look forward to speaking later in the week. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you, Warwick. That is National Secretary of the United Workers Union, Tim Kennedy, giving you the update there on strike action. Uh, most of the dairy factory workers have reached agreements with air companies at Peters and looks like Saputo as well. But Fonterra, as he told you, uh, they're still in negotiations and have lodged uh, an application to start strike action for six days starting Saturday at Fonterra factories. We'll keep you updated on what happens from here. Uh, Heath at Dirkholm says far west in Victoria, four and a half millimetres of rain, hailed a couple of times and dropped to six degrees. Sounds delightful, Heath. Um, yeah, a couple of photos coming in from hail as well from different areas, uh, certainly in that sort of southwest part of the world. Uh, if you've got something to report, send us a text 0467 842 722. So you head out along the river with your dogs, then you notice one of them's gone missing. I could just see this massive kangaroo in the water just staring at me. And after about 15 seconds, Hachi came up in a headlock with this kangaroo. So I thought, all right, got to get in there. <laughs> at what point did you go, this may not be a good idea? Well, the muscles on this thing, it was jacked. And when I actually wrestled with it, it felt like I'd hugged a tree. Afternoons with Trevor Chappell on ABC Victoria and the ABC Listen app. You're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. And let's get some regional news headlines right now with Lexi Junowick from our regional newsroom. Good afternoon, good afternoon, Lexi. A very good afternoon to you, Warwick. Former Victorian MP Russell North has been sentenced to nearly two years in prison for using almost $180,000 of public money to fuel his gambling addiction. 
North was sentenced in the Melbourne County Court today after pleading guilty to two counts of misconduct while in public office. The 57-year-old was charged with 45 offences in 2022 after an investigation by the independent broad-based anti-corruption commission. The charges related to providing falsified documents to avoid paying back money to the Victorian Electoral Commission, which was meant to be used to run his electoral office in Mall. An indefinite strike at dairy company Saputo's Allensford factory in Western Victoria has been cancelled, but the threat of strike action continues at another major processor. The United Workers Union says Saputo has agreed to significant improvements in both pay and conditions for staff across its sites. Tomorrow, the union's Fonterra delegates will meet with the company as workers call for a cost-of-living pay increase of 5% a year for the next three years. 300 Fonterra workers have lodged notices for strike action for six consecutive days from the first shift on Saturday. Swimming Victoria is calling on the state government to invest in swimming pool upgrades across Victoria as part of legacy benefits promised following the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games. The state government has allocated $60 million towards a regional community sport development fund, but Swimming Victoria CEO Jason Helwig says it remains unclear whether funding for legacy projects will be used to upgrade aquatic facilities. And for more news and stories, you can head to your local ABC station online. Thanks very much for that. Lexi Junowick there with your regional news headlines. This lunchtime, Stephanie Miles is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. And Stephanie, our text line has lit up with reports of hail at Bannockburn. We've got hail at Hamilton, uh, well, just near Hamilton. We've got uh, hail at Dergholm, Dergholm as well. Uh, looks like there's a, a little bit of storm action this lunchtime. Yeah, definitely a different day today than it was yesterday, isn't it, really? Um, We've got quite a lot of the southern parts and western parts of the state covered in showers at the moment. Uh, from 9am this morning we've really only recorded about 2 to 3 millimetres in places in the southern most exposed coast, so places like Pound Creek, Warrnambool, Portland. Uh, and look, the temperatures around the state today are quite cold too. We're really only reaching about 14 to 15 degrees, uh, maybe up to 17 in some places, but yeah, look, it's quite a cold day too. And like you said, we've seen a couple of strikes from thunderstorms and, you know, hail around the places too, so it's quite a wintry day today definitely feels like it um and unfortunately those showers and um you know showers of hail as well might just be continuing throughout the afternoon oh we got hail in the main street of mortlake as well uh 15 minutes ago says ned at hexham no rain hail here for ned but definitely in the main street of mortlake and he sent some photos to prove it as well thank you for that so yeah that that that's going to continue that sort of storm action through this afternoon stephanie Yep, absolutely. Luckily, those places in the northeastern and the eastern parts of the state might not see as heavy rainfall. But yeah, look, the showers in the southwest and in the west are definitely continuing throughout the today. Uh, look, into tomorrow, though, those showers will start to ease, which is good news. They'll stay mostly on and south of the ranges, and that hail will also move away too. So more just showery conditions tomorrow, but the temperatures are quite similar, only really around the 15 to 17 degrees tomorrow. Maybe a little bit warmer, about 20 degrees in the northern parts of the state. But yeah, look, quite a partly cloud and showery and cold day tomorrow as well. But luckily on Friday, things will start to look up a little bit more. We've got some sunnier days and those temperatures are around the 20 to 23 degrees. And by the weekend, we're mostly sunny with uh, temperatures up to about 20 to 25 degrees. And then on Sunday, again, improving. Uh, Mildura even seeing a 32 on Sunday. So and it's really just today and tomorrow and then we get some sunshine on the way. And any warnings we need to be aware of? 
Yeah, sure. So we've still got our moderate flood warning out for the Murray. So those people up near, uh, I think it's close to a Achuca, to be honest. My um, geography on that part of uh, the world is really quite horrible. But keep an eye on that uh, flood warning up there. Yeah, take them all have... to Barham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Perfect. spot on. You're spot on. Achuca's in the middle there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, we have a warning to the sheep graziers uh, for most of the state too, just in those cold, wintry conditions. But otherwise, that's about it for the land. We've got a couple of marine wind warnings for the central and eastern coastal waters too. So stay safe out there in the waters and just um, yeah, keep a warm jacket close to you if you're heading outside today. And in terms of uh, the rain expected, what are you thinking in numbers-wise from, from here on in, Stephanie? Yeah, so today is going to be the day where we see the most amount of rainfall, probably more around the two to five millimetres uh, in those places, like we said, in the south and in the west, uh, but a little bit more around those exposed coasts, up to about 15 millimetres, maybe in the southwest and also that area of the Bass Coast and western Gippsland, just in those um, yeah exposed southwesterly winds, really, so we'll see the highest falls. Anything else we need to know, Stephanie? That's about it. Thanks so much, Warwick. Brilliant. Thank you. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of meteorology taking you through the full forecast there. Leo has sent in a lovely text on the text line. I don't know if it's lovely for you, Leo, but he's like the poor little Izuzu's earning its keep today. 17 bales of silage per load. Cheers, mate, from Leo. Sounds like you're having quite the season in your part of the world up into the Langata Valley there. Leo, thank you very much for that. Uh, hail in Kyneton, then sun, then cold wind. Four seasons in one day for Jenny in Kyneton. Thank you very much for that. And we've had large hail at Bullarook, east of Ballarat, says Kim. Kim, thank you for sending that in as well. All of that is good for us to know. And I oh, hope it's not doing much damage to possible grain crops and Whatever else is growing in your part of the world, hopefully, uh, whatever hail is falling is not doing much damage. If it is, you can let us know, even if it's not the most, well, not the thing you would like to be talking about. Uh, On worker strikes coming towards Fonterra, a lot more non-union workers at Fonterra. A lot of workers want a job with their four days on, four days off shifts, 40 bucks an hour is my mail, says this text. Well, $40 an hour would match up, wouldn't it, with what Tim Kennedy was saying, sixty to $80,000 a year uh, is the rough take-home pay for, for workers at Fonterra that he was speaking about there. Uh, I'm not, I'll have to get the calculator out, but thank you very much for your text all the same. Let's take you into, well, more finer details of agriculture right now because Senate Estimates for Agriculture was sitting last night and I was watching in on a lot of it. Senate Estimates is where senators look at the numbers of government expenditure and government policy in action and the Rural and Regional Affairs Committee was looking at agriculture estimates last night, meaning the Department of Agriculture was up, as were a number of major uh, organisations that work in the agriculture space like Dairy Australia and Plant Health Australia, etc., etc. And it turns out, it came out in estimates yesterday, that today is the day the independent panel on the phase-out of live exports of sheep from Australia will deliver its report to the federal government. But it could be a while before you know what's in that report. The panel, chaired by former Murray-Darling Basin Authority CEO Philip Glyde, uh, to provide advice on how to phase out the practice of live exports, received more than 4,000 submissions and was granted a small extension in time before handing its final report to government. Under questioning from Green Senator Maureen Faruqi, Agriculture Minister Murray Watt confirmed that today is the day that he will receive their final report. 
The report of the independent panel, um, I think, is due by the 25th of October this year? Yes. Is that still on track? Yes. That's my understanding. Yeah. And will that report be made public? Um, I envisage that it will be, Mm. but um, we obviously, once I receive the report, we'll need to give it some consideration. It's likely I'll need to go to Cabinet Mm. to make some decisions, so... I doubt I'd be releasing the report immediately, Mm -hmm. um, but it would be my intention to release it. it. public. Yep. Great. Um, And Minister, I'm just wondering, have you given any thought to committing to legislating within this term of government an end date to the phase-out? I'm not asking if you'll end within this term, but have you given some thought to actually legislating an end date in this term of government? I guess that's one of the things that I'm waiting on the advice from the panel about. Yeah. Okay. So the report is with government from today. We will have to see what that means for the timeline in terms of phasing out live sheep exports and the process in which government uh, decides to manage that policy to phase out live sheep exports. Speaking of the Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt and staying with his evidence, he conceded his government's push to ban live sheep exports is affecting confidence in the sheep market. Federal Labor has committed to phase out the trade sometime after the next election and that report will advise on how to do that. But under questioning from Liberal Senator Slade Brockman this time at the estimates hearing in Canberra, Senator Watt acknowledged it's one of the factors behind a decline in farmer confidence. So you are aware that currently in Western Australia, confidence is at minus 53%. What do you think is driving that, Minister? Well, I think I think there's a number of factors. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's quite possible that government decisions at state and federal level may have had an impact on those results. Um, uh, I'm honest enough to acknowledge that, but I do think that in my opening statement I addressed the um, sharp falls we've seen uh, in livestock prices, not just in Western Australia but around the country, that I think is having an impact on confidence. Um, And, of course, the onset of drier conditions... um, and approaching drought, with all of the consequences that has for farms, I think is playing a factor as well. Seriously, Minister, you can't mention the live export ban? Well, that's... I mean, I, you I was know that's the, the, the most significant driver of that number. Well, I, I don't think that's been established, but I've acknowledged that government decisions, state and federal, have obviously, um, the survey says that they've played a role. Minister, the eastern states, the most significant concern for farmers, driving down their confidence, is commodity prices and weather. You'd expect that, Yes. In WA, it's government policy. Hmm. Tell me what other policies, apart from the live export brand, you are looking after that is driving down confidence. Well, I acknowledged at the very beginning of my answer that the survey said that state and federal government policies had had an impact. So I'm not trying to pretend otherwise. Um, I do think that those other factors... So, so, so apart from live export ban, Minister, what are your other policies that are driving down confidence? Well, according to Senator McKenzie and Senator Canavan, there's a whole host of them. That's Agriculture Minister Murray Watt at Senate Estimates last night. My last little bit I'll bring from the estimates hearing for you still regards live export, and this is the approval process for the export of live sheep to Saudi Arabia, which has been under the microscope at estimates. It is, as we've just told you, federal government policy to phase out live exports of sheep, but Saudi Arabia, a country that hasn't received a shipment of sheep since 2012, 
recently applied to re-enter the market despite the policy to phase out live exports. One company, it was revealed last night, Emanuel Exports, which had its live export licence suspended for three years due to the Awasi Express incident where sheep died of heat stress aboard a ship, has gained approval now to export to Saudi Arabia. Here's Labor Senator for Victoria, Linda White, questioning the Department of Agriculture's Andrew McDonald about the process of this approval in estimates last night. Um, at the last hearing, uh, one of the senators was asking questions about the possibility of Australian sheep going to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I recall you saying that Australian sheep had not been exported to Saudi Arabia since tw- uh, 2012. What is the process an ex- exporter would have to undertake in order to export to Saudi Arabia? Uh, so with Saudi Arabia, we've had... Um uh, we've had health protocols in place that we had some discussions about before. Mm. To export to, to Saudi, uh, you need to be a licensed exporter. You need to... Um, that, that licensed exporter would then need to put a SCAS arrangement in place, which is around the traceability and control of the supply chain in country. They would then need to... Um, if they didn't have one, they would need to establish one. They would then need to apply to the um, to the department under what we um, call our our notice of intention to export, where we would assess um, the relevant documents, and then in the lead up to um, uh, to the export, they would need to have the the consignment assessed by our veterinary officers to ensure that the. Um, the animals being exported meet the importing country requirements. So have any exporters been approved to commence exporting to Saudi Arabia? On the 27th of September, the department has, ex- has approved one exporter to, um, to now have the, the relevant approvals, such as the SCAS arrangements in place to commence exporting to Saudi Arabia. To which company has been approved? Uh, that company is called Emanuel Exports. It's called Emmanuel's Exports. Is, is that the same company that was involved in the Awasi incident? Uh, it was, Senator. Mm. Uh, and uh, you're satisfied then that they are suitable? Uh, we look at the suitability of all, um, of all companies and uh, to be um, a registered exporter and this... This company um, uh, has had a, uh, I suppose, a history around our regulatory arrangements that we're now satisfied with. Part of the assessment process, if it's helpful, we need to be able to have confidence that the exporter is going to meet our requirements in terms of being able to provide exports of live sheep into another market, have confidence around their SCAS capability um, and have confidence, of course, that the the export will proceed in a matter that's satisfactory. We do take into account um, past history, but we also do take into account the evidence that we're provided and the legal basis upon which to make that decision. 
That is Deputy Secretary with the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, Nicola Hinder. Before that, you heard Andrew McDonald, First Assistant Secretary for Plant and Live Exports with DAF, under questioning in Senate estimates in Canberra last night, confirming that despite a policy to phase out live exports, an application has been made by Saudi Arabia to start live exporting again for the first time in a decade. And there has been approval of one company to do just that. We might come closer to home right now and talk about a major dairy company. Today uh, is a big day for that dairy company because one of their brands, the iconic spread Vegemite, celebrates its 100th anniversary. But there's not much to celebrate for their parent company, the Bega Group, with its share price halving in the last two years. Company earnings are down 11% this year and dairy farmers used the AGM of Bega to question the strategy from company leaders, as Josh Becker reports. It, does, it gives nobody any pleasure to see the share price where it is and we don't think it reflects that opportunity. That's Executive Chairman of Bega Group, Barry Irvin. And while the branded business, Vegemite and other spreads, flavoured milk and yoghurts are performing well for the business, their bulk commodity dairy businesses have faced significant Headwinds. CEO Peter Finlay explained the key challenges. These have included the impact, the impact of COVID-19, significant supply chain disruptions, unprecedented cost increases, and then a disconnection between highly volatile dairy commodity prices and farm gate milk prices in Australia. But for Gabago dairy farmer Tony Allen, he used the question time at the annual general meeting yesterday to criticise the company direction. We're here today a litany of excuses, reasons why... We've had to redesign what we do within the company as a result of the recent milk rise. That milk rise should have been in the system and proactively looked upon years ago. Commodity prices, commodity markets have never been the saviour of dairy farmers. They might have been the saviour of companies, but they certainly weren't the saviour of dairy farmers. So when I go to the pub on Friday night and talk to the farmers, we, we talk about what we call the pub test. Is this company really doing as well as the glossy magazines predict in terms of the pub test? Seven and a half cents dividend doesn't cut the mustard. The price of the farmers really doesn't cut the mustard in terms of longevity for my son and any of his children. And that's the reality of it. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the reality. So don't make excuses, be proactive, get into products that actually return money for the company that can be then transferred back to the farm. In other words, profitability. Because you can't expect young men and young women to turn up on their farm seven days a week and receive a price decline as we've got this year. Thank, thanks for the commentary, Tony. And I, and I think what I would, you know, quite frankly, I, I'll, I'll respond to that in, uh, in the only way I can. So you've never seen a, a business that's more proactive. You've never seen a business change and transform more than this business that's gone into exactly what you said. Fresh dairy, fresh yogurt, fresh brands. This company has done that. This company is exposed because we are in food products and we are in agriculture and I'm not going to sugarcoat things that cannot, cannot be sugarcoated. We, we live in a global supply chain. There is enormous amounts of dairy products being imported to this country as we speak now from New Zealand. You'll say it shouldn't happen. I'll say it shouldn't happen, but it, it's happening. And, 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 and if we stepped away from the more emotive thing around, say, a dairy farmer, 
Most dairy farmers are also beef farmers, and we've seen what's happened with the beef markets and the sheep markets over the last 12 months. And to say that you can completely insulate yourself from them would not be genuine by me. But what would be genuine by me is to say that we have transformed the company into fresh products, which, which, which Pete's outlined, into brands that we've outlined. This is not about us making excuses. We are not making excuses. There has never been a company more proactive, and as many would know that have a long memory, there's a very large number of dairy companies that don't exist today because they weren't proactive. There is a reason why Beaker exists. But I, like you, look to the future. And I, like you, have a son that is running our dairy farm and actually have six grandchildren that I would love to see there. So we are, of course, interested in sustainability across the entire supply chain. And as you quite rightly say, that means profitability across the entire supply chain. It is no good if our customers are not making any money because that will not, it is no good if our consumers are not buying our product. It is no good if the processor is not making enough money to reinvest, to grow and be proactive, as you said, and it is no good if the farmer is not making money. That balance has changed over the years. In fact, the, the latest dairy farm monitor stats show very good positive returns for farmers last year, which is great. That is what we want. What Pete was demonstrating there, which was perhaps missed, was that in terms of our branded business and its alignment to the Australian marketplace and the premiums and the profitability from that part of the business, it is strong. In terms of the area, which is why there's an impairment, in the commodity part of our business that is, that, that is more aligned to the international market, it is not strong. And we cannot insulate ourselves entirely from all of that, inclusive of the impact of those lower commodity prices in the Australian market. Now, we are seeing those commodity markets start to improve. I think the, the positive thing that we would, would say today as far as the farmer is concerned is that the biggest impacts of those commodity markets have not been felt on farm, in dairy, anything like the way they have been felt on farm, in beef, or in farm, in sheep, or other areas. But I, the one thing I would, I, I would disagree with is the argument about whether we've been proactive or not. I think the, 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 the whole point of what we've been doing and what we've built has always been about trying to stay ahead of that curve, and I think it's a great demonstration that we've done that. That is Bega Cheese Executive Chairman uh, Barry Irvin ending that report from Josh Becker and also is passionately defending uh, the strategy of his company despite the share price halving in the last two years and also talking about what that means for farmers. Uh, 0467-842-722 is the text line. If you'd like to send us a text, it's hailing here in Mount Evelyn, says Stan. Thank you for providing that update. Hail really ripping its way through areas of regional Victoria this lunchtime. Ah, spring weather, says Catherine, working outdoors today, wearing a woolen coat. And currently, the sun hat is doing double duty as a rain hat. Enjoy that time outdoors, though, Catherine. It's where I'd rather be. And Nick out Karimba Way says, no hail, just rain here at Karimba. Thank you very much for providing that update as well, Nick. Let's go to livestock markets now. and We'll get an update there, too. A couple to get through this Wednesday. We'll start with Brendan Fletcher at Lee and Gather. G'day, Brendan. 
G'day Warwick, there were 360 more at 1,060 with a couple of buyers absent as a new order started operating in a mixed market. A little more finish saw increased competition on some sales. Trade cattle were slightly dearer in places. Bullocks eased 10 cents. Manufacturing steers lost 1 to 5. Heavy beef cows lifted 5 cents while lean dairy lots eased mostly 10 to 15. Heavy bulls lost 15. Vealers sold from 208 to 256. Yearling trade steers 215 to 220. Heifers to the trade 185 to 250. Ground steers and bullocks 192 to 248. Heavy Frisian steers 149 to 188. Crossbreds 180 to 228. Most light and medium weight cows 96 to 158. Heavyweights 140 to 195. Heavy bulls 188 to 218. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. We'll go to the sheep and lamb market reports now. We'll start today out Hamilton Way, where it's been hailing, as we've heard earlier. Uh, Chris Agnew, though, can tell us what the numbers have been like at the sale yards. Take it away, Chris. Thanks, Warwick. Numbers rebounded this week to 2,430 lambs, as well as 1,770 sheep at Hamilton. This included 500 new seasons lambs, which signals the start for the area for new seasons lambs offerings. The market remains strong to be firm to be slightly dearer for shorn lambs. New season's lambs are sold to $150, with most of the new season's lambs making between 500 to 570 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Very good shorn trade lambs, 18 to 26 kilos to the trade. They average between around about 440 cents. The top shorn lambs making to $128. Light to medium sheep were 5 to $8 stronger this week and the heavy sheep remained firm. New season's lambs to the trade, 18 to 22s, 100 to 128. And the 22 to 26s, they made from 115 to $150 per head. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Lucky last today is Graham Pimer, who has the Horsham Sheep Report for us. Graham. Good afternoon, everyone. A lift of over 3,000 lambs to 12,350 saw a mostly good quality offering. Heavy lambs are in good numbers with the usual buying group operating in a mostly firm market on the heavy and trade weight lambs. Competition keen on the better trade weights. Lighter weight sold a few dollars easier. Medium and heavy trade weight young lambs sold from 110 to 149. Heavy weights from 150 to 180. Heavy old lambs sold from 124 to 146. Merino lambs to 97. Restockers and feeders paid from 14 to 85. Sheep numbers eased to 2,300 and quality was good. Sheep mostly sold to easier levels on the heavier weights. Lighter weights sold 8 to $10 a head dearer. Heavy merino and crossbred ewes made to 36. The light trade weight lamb sold from 93 to 115 at 510. Medium trade weight sold from 110 to 129 to average 520. Export weight sold 133 to 156, their average 505. The heavy lamb sold from 150 to 180. And Graham Pinewood Horsham from LA. Thanks very much for that, Graham. That's about all the time we have for you on the Country Hour today. A reminder, if you want to read about David Johinke's rise to be the National Farmers Federation president, you can do that right now at abc.net.au slash rural. You can also read about the bush tucker that's selling for $180 a kilo, but having a pretty bad year for harvest. Uh, you can get all of that and more, abc.net.au slash rural. We'll be back with you tomorrow on the Country Hour or for your rural report at a quarter past six tomorrow morning on ABC Local Radio. Catch you then.